So, a little trivia question for us this morning, okay? Um, if you love studying the Bible or you've, you've, you've versed yourself in study over the years, you may have come across this phrase, the law of first mention, the law of first mention. And often when something is mentioned first in the Bible for the first time, it carries weight and significance. And without turning to it, um, I want to I just ask you, what was the first thing that God said to man? The first thing. Now, God said a lot of things to himself in Genesis chapter 1. Things like, let there, you know, God said, let there be light and let us, you know, let the fish of the sea and the animals of the earth produce. But what was the first thing that God said to man? Can anybody tell me? No. Who, who, who was that? Well done, Dee. Round of applause for Dee, okay? Fantastic. Okay, let me read it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 in the NIV says this. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In the good King James Version, it says, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. That's the first thing that God ever said to mankind. It's the kind of the law of the first mention. And God's heart, right throughout history and throughout the word of God, is always to increase, always to multiply, always to grow. So when you get to verses like Isaiah where it says, of the increase of your government and peace, there'll be no end. God says to Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. And so multiply is in the heart of God. Increase, expansion is always in the heart of God. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read a story that's a great story. I've actually, um, I think I've said this before, I've actually gone back to reading a paper version of the Bible. I get too, I get too distracted on my phone in the mornings. So if, I try, if I've got my phone on my Bible, I'll go to somewhere else on an app or on the news or wherever. And so I think, right, let's get back to the book, okay? So I'm going to read from the book this morning. Um, so Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. Brilliant little story. It says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genezareth, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boat, one of the boats, the boat belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. There he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch." Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can you imagine that? When Simon Peter saw this, 
he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up onto the shore. They left everything and they followed him. What a great story. My theme this morning is this let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. How many of you like fishing? In a room of about 180 people, I see three hands. (laughs) Not that popular then. Some people think that going fishing for a day is a waste of a day. It's a bit like golf, my wife thinks. What What a waste of four hours, okay? But if you are a fisherman, you will understand the patience and the anticipation and the hope of fishing. When I was about 11 years old, um, my dad decided to take up fishing. And he bought some beach rods and with a a rep from Tucks of Burston called Keith Bloomfield, um, he used to take me on a Friday night after I got home from school and we would get to Dunnage Beach at about 10 o'clock at night and we would set up on the beach with some tilly lamps and we would have food and we would fish from about 11 till about 4 in the morning. And it was always in winter time because allegedly that was when you got the best fish. And we would cast out our lines as far as we could to see and hope that we'd get some catch. And sometimes we did and most of the time we didn't. So my dad decided to take that to a different level and so he got rid of the beach fishing equipment and he bought himself a little boat and he, caught, he, he used to, had a little tow bar and he put it on a trailer and with his Peugeot 305 number plate GEX400T, how sad is that? Okay, I can still remember the number plate on my dad's Peugeot 305. We would go on a Saturday morning and we would, we would actually push this little 14-foot little boat with a little outboard engine off the beach at Dunwich and we would go out to sea a few hundred yards and we would just sit all day in the freezing cold, hoping that we'd catch some fish. And I did this for a number of years. And then my dad decided to take the story even further. And he bought a bigger boat, and he moored it at Alton Broad. And this time it had a diesel engine in the middle of the boat, so it was a bit warmer, because you could keep your hands on the, on the, near the engine to keep warm. And we would go through Lower Stoft, and we'd go two or three miles out to sea when you couldn't actually see the, the shoreline, and we had all compasses and all that kind of stuff. And we would sit there from about 10 in the morning on a 23-foot boat till about 5 in the afternoon, and we would just have our lines over the edge, hoping that we were going to catch some fish. And I can remember on one particular day, we got to about half three in the afternoon, I was freezing cold, we hadn't caught a thing, and this 14-year-old boy bent his dad's ear on a many occasions, Dad, when can we go home? 
I'm fed up. I don't want to be here. Gee, my poor dad, I crazed him. And my dad said to us, let's just hang in for a bit longer. We'll just stay. And then one of the rods at the end bent right over. And my dad like hiked it back and he started to pull. And in on the side of the boat came this like six pound cod. And then my rod bent over. And then Keith Bloomfield's rod bent over. And all of a sudden, my dad's rod bent over again. And for the next hour and a half, we just started to land loads of whiting and loads of codling. And if, I think if you go over seven pound, it goes from a codling to a cod. I think that's, that's the fishing expertise bit, all right? And we actually had about two bin linerfuls of place of, of whiting rather and cod and I can remember that journey back to mooring the boat at Alton Broad we were gutting all the fish the seagulls were flying all around us and I got home and we pulled out these two big liners full of fish and my mum came out in the yard and she says what we got to do with all of them then <laughs> good Suffolk accent here's the point right You don't go fishing unless you think there is a catch to be had. You don't go fishing unless you think there is a catch to be had. But sometimes you have to wait for it. Sometimes you have to be patient. Sometimes you have to stick at it until the rods bend or the nets begin to fill. And my first point this morning, I've got three short points this morning. My first point is this. Don't wait for the perfect condition. When it comes to fishing and reaching and multiplying, because when it comes to reaching people and seeking to grow and increase, because I want to be a multiplier, don't you? I want to walk through the rest of my life taking people with me into the kingdom. I want to see multiplication in this church, in my life, in my family. I want to grow and take people who don't know Jesus with me into the kingdom. And sometimes we have to be patient. Let's not wait for the perfect condition. In this story in Luke chapter 5, we discover this that these experienced, trained, efficient fishermen had spent the whole night fishing and had caught nothing. Now, if you know anything about sea fishing, it is often good to fish at night, okay? That's why we used to go fishing either very early in the morning or all night from the beach. It was just often fish would bite more and feed more in the night. And that was often why fishermen would go out in the night. So if you, if you go to the trawling companies of Scotland, the, the boats come in early morning because they've been out all night, okay? Now, I don't know all the science and reasoning behind that, but it's kind of, it's a fact. And so all night, these guys had been fishing and they'd caught nothing. And I guess after a night of exhaustion... After a night of tiredness, frustration, maybe a bit of anger, maybe some disappointment, a bit of disillusionment, because this was their livelihood, they'd come back in that morning thinking, fed up. 
Everything about that moment wasn't right. Every about, everything about that time didn't quite connect. It didn't quite happen. And the condition wasn't perfect. And maybe they felt a bit low. Maybe they felt a bit despondent. Maybe they felt a bit like flat within themselves. And in that imperfect moment, in that moment when the condition wasn't perfect, they met Jesus. And Jesus said, try it one more time. Throw out your nets again. When I was studying this and getting this ready, I just found a, a, quite an interesting piece of information, and I found it interesting. Did you know that, obviously, they were fishing in the Lake Galilee, that Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world, and the second lowest lake in the world, if you include freshwater lakes and saltwater lakes. It's 209 meters below sea level. And it depends on which commentator you read, but Jesus performed between around 33 and 37, 38 miracles, of which 18 of those miracles were all in and around the Lake of Galilee. It's fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus uses the lowest place to bring his kingdom to the broken and the lost. In fact, if you read the Bible, there sometimes seems to be a bit of a pattern that God often reserves to reveal his glory in our lowest moments. When we feel despondent, when we feel fed up, when we think like we've been working all this night and nothing's worked and we feel like quite low, maybe even in the environment, of lowness, Jesus turns up and he reveals his glory. I sometimes think when it comes to multiplication, when it comes to reaching out, when it comes to seeing others coming into the kingdom, sometimes I feel like I need to have everything in my life all in place. I need to have the condition that is perfect before God can use me. But I've noticed something, that in my darkest moments and in my hardest moments in life, it's often that God uses me the most. Do you know I've discovered that when my story in my life is going through its most challenging times, it's often most effective when I'm talking to others. That when things are most painful and most tough, God uses the vulnerability of my situation to bring his glory into someone else's life. And maybe you're here today and your condition isn't perfect. Don't let that stop you being a soul winner. Don't let that stop you being an effective witness for the kingdom of God. Don't let that stop you telling your story of the good news of the kingdom. Because God will use your low moments to bring glory to his name. Don't wait for your health to be perfect. Don't wait for your emotional state to come back round. Don't wait for your situation in your family or your finances or your workplace to change to the perfect condition before you can be used by God to bring his glory to those around you. 
You know, God will often choose our lowest moments and our weakest places to trigger our biggest opportunities. So don't wait for the perfect condition. Point number two. Here we go. Every disciple has been commissioned to catch fish. Did you know that God has uniquely created every single one of us to bring others into his kingdom? What did Jesus say in that story? Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In that great commission in Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make disciples. Multiplication and growth and increase and reaching out and making other disciples was in the very DNA of the message of Jesus. And multiplication for us as a church community or for you in your workplace or for you in your family or for you in your ministry or for you as an individual should be the overflow of your relationship with God. Making disciples should be the natural overflow of being a disciple. If I'm sharing in the life of Christ, then I should naturally be sharing the love of Christ. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we deserved to die. All because he wanted to get out there the message of his kingdom. The message of hope. The message of the gospel. The message of peace. The message of justice to a broken world. And he invites you and me to become part of his discipling-making DNA. That's who Jesus was. I think sometimes, and I think I've been guilty of this, I think sometimes the reason that I have a poor understanding of mission is because I don't understand my identity as a disciple. Because my identity as a disciple or a follower of Jesus is to make other disciples. I haven't got time to go into that in any detail. But you read the Gospels all the way through. It was all about that. That's why Jesus, right at the end, before he goes back into heaven, said that very phrase to his followers. Go into all the world and make disciples. It says the very last line of that story that we read. It says, they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. My question would be this. What did they follow him to do? Because if you're going to follow someone, you need to know why you're following them, don't you? You know? You don't just want to follow someone aimlessly because you think they look nice and it's a good idea. You want to know, well, if I'm going to follow you, what am I following you for? What's the purpose? And so by giving up their livelihood in a moment of time and pulling up their boats and leaving their nets and walking away from all that they knew to be secure in their lives, all that they were familiar with in their lives, they literally, they literally just left it there and they turned around and they began to follow this man called Jesus Christ. I would want to know what I'm following him for. 
This is what I believe. They followed Jesus to do what Jesus did. They followed Jesus to declare the message of the kingdom. They followed Jesus to be participators in preaching the good news of the gospel and calling people to repentance. Because that's what Jesus came to do. If you read the gospels, it says, it says that Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is, is, has come, the kingdom of God is near. And he uses words like, repent, turn and follow me. And the whole mission and purpose of Jesus on the earth was to declare the powerful and amazing message of the kingdom of God, to bring the good news of the gospel to communities and to nations and to bring people to repentance, to bring his hope and his kingdom and his kingdom message to a world that was lost and broken. So the disciples needed to know that if I'm going to leave my safety and my security behind, this is what I'm going to be following for the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to be giving up to follow. I'm going to be joining and aligning myself with this man called Jesus Christ to participate in bringing the kingdom of God in, to bringing the message of the gospel to those around me. What I love about Luke chapter 5 is it's preceded by Luke chapter 4. And what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I believe this, right? That ultimately the reason that Jesus spent hours in prayer, why he fasted, why he spent days in solitude, wasn't just to tick boxes of spiritual disciplines but to prepare him to be effective in bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. This year, we're going to be looking at a number of disciplines in our Sunday teaching. In fact, in a, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at the subject of Sabbath. And then in a couple of months' time, we're going to be looking at the subject of prayer. And we're going to be looking at the subject of fasting this year and solitude. And we're going to be teaching that because last week I talked about how we want to help people create a greater sense of spiritual transformation in our lives. And we want to go deeper in our discipleship with Jesus. But listen, church, this morning, when we, when we fast and when we pray... And when we have a Sabbath and when we spend hours in solitude and when we practice all of those spiritual disciplines, they're not there in our lives just to say we've ticked that box this week. But ultimately, the reason I pray and the reason I fast and the reason I take time out to be silent in the presence of Jesus and the reason that I discipline myself to practice the things that will help me in my walk with God... Ultimately, it has to lead me to be effective in the multiplication and the increase of the message of the kingdom of God around me. It has to be. Jesus didn't pray for 40 days and fast for 40 days and 40 nights just because it was a good idea. He did it because he needed to get so close to his father so that when he came out of that period of prayer and fasting, he was so full of the Holy Spirit that he could walk into communities and he could bring the kingdom message of power, repentance, and good news. We are called in our discipleship journey, we are called in our spiritual transformation to be multipliers, to bring the message of peace and hope of the kingdom of God to those around us. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are all called 
and commissioned to catch fish. Who wants to catch some fish this year? I do. I really do. I want to multiply. I want two of me. <laughs> All right, okay. Maybe not. But I want, I want to put what God has done in me to someone else. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want others who don't know it yet to experience the kingdom of God. I want others around me through what God is doing in my life to come to a place of repentance, to turn and believe on Jesus. I have been commissioned to catch fish, and so have you. And thirdly, my third point is this. Every disciple should know how to fish. When those moments come, or when you feel a neighbor or a work colleague or a friend has given you an opening, or you've decided to take that moment, we should know how to fish. We need to be ready to catch something. Those disciples knew their trade because they'd learnt it. They'd practiced it. When I was 16 and I left this high school, I went and worked as an apprentice electrician. And do you know what I did? I learnt my trade. I spent hours and hours at Norwich City College every day. I did block release and day release, depending on what year I was doing my apprenticeship. And I did all the formulas, and I sat in classes at Norwich City College, and I'd have circuit boards in front of me, and I'd have to wire lights up. And then I'd have to wire sockets up, and I'd have to learn all about earthing systems and circuit boards and breakers and all of that kind of stuff. And I had to work out the formulas and the different equations so that I knew how volts and amps and ohms all work together. Sound clever, don't I? It's blooming hard, I tell you. But do you know what? I learned my trade because I practiced it. My lecturers at college, they'd give us a circuit board about this big and there'd be like lots of different lighting circuits on it and we'd have to wire it and I'd get it or maybe I'd get it wrong and the fuse would blow. Okay, and then he'd say, do it again. And then I'd do it and he would have to take all the wiring out and he'd say, do it again. Until I knew how to wire a freeway system of lights in a house. Do you know what? I know regulations and things have changed now because it's a lot of years ago. I could still wire a house today. I know how to put a lighting circuit in. I know how to put a ring main in. I could probably still wire a fuse board. Why is that? Because I spent four years learning my trade. So when the moment comes, I know what to do. I want to say to us, church, every disciple should know how to fish. If your work colleague tomorrow sits opposite you at your desk and says, I've kind of really been inspired by your Christian faith. I'd like to become a Christian now. Could you lead them to Jesus? Have you learned your trade? Could you take them through the word of God? Could you show them Bible verses? Could you confidently lead somebody to Jesus tomorrow? Because you should be able to. It's really important. We need to know what to do. We have to learn our trade. In fact, the word disciple is we get our word apprentice from that. It's all about learning. 
We need to be competent apprentices of Jesus. And so if we want to catch fish this year and we want to multiply, learn your trade. If you struggle with that, come and see me. I'd be very happy to help you learn how to lead somebody to Jesus, how to become confident in what to say, how to become confident in how to pray for a non-Christian colleague or friend. It's really important because every disciple should know how to fish. And so as we go throughout this year and we want to multiply and we want to see more people come to Jesus, let's not wait for the perfect condition. You don't have to be perfect and your situation doesn't have to be perfect for God to use you. Secondly, you have been commissioned to fish. You have been given permission You have been given the Holy Spirit to go fishing this year. And thirdly, learn how to fish. Learn how to catch. And you know, I actually believe that we will see multiplication. Not just through events that we put on together as a church, and I'm not against events, not just through an alpha course where we invite people to do it, and I'm certainly not against that, but we will learn to multiply Because you will become a multiplier in your workplace. You'll become a multiplier in your school, in your street, with your family. Because you have been commissioned and given the tools to become a catcher of men, a fisherman of men. Just want to leave you with one little story. My father-in-law, Mike, who, who passed away a couple of years ago this year, He used to be involved in a church in Bath in Somerset. And I remember him telling me this story. He was standing, he was in the church in Bath one Sunday. It was a big church. And he got talking to this guy who was there on the Sunday meeting. And he said to him, he said, how long have you been coming to this church? And the guy said, oh, I've been coming about four months. He said, I thought I hadn't seen you here before. He said, it's really nice to see you. He said, do you enjoy it? Yeah, he said, I love the meetings. I love the singing. I love the worship. He said, I love all the, all the groups of people that come around me. I like the sense of community in the church. And, and Mike said, oh, it's really good. And, and then he said to this guy, he said, how long have you been a Christian? And the guy said, I'm not. And Mike said, well, why are you not a Christian? And do you know what he said to him? He said, because no one's ever asked me. He'd been coming to church for four months. He loved the singing. He loved everything that he was experiencing. But no one had ever said to him, would you like to follow Jesus? What we need to do as church is say to people, would you like to follow Jesus? And be confident in catching fish. Amen. I want to pray for us, then we'll finish with a song. Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, I pray today that you would help each one of us to be fishers of men. That we would love people so much that we couldn't but share the kingdom with them. And I pray, Lord, that for each one of us, especially those of us who don't feel we're worthy or competent and we can't do it, to not wait for the perfect condition because you've called us all 
and commissioned us all to make men, to make fishers of men. So help us, Lord, I pray, this year to be multipliers.